house of the Lord. Let's all stand together as we begin our time of worship together today. Love divine, all loves excelling. Love divine, all loves excelling.
Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much that we can come and praise you, Lord. I pray that you do let our life praise you, Lord, in everything that we do. I pray that you help us to hear the words that Pastor Danny has for us today and just guide him as he speaks them, Lord. I just pray that you be with us during this time, Lord, and I pray that you guide us throughout the week as we go out and share your love with others. Amen. You can be seated, guys. I want to welcome everyone here today. It's the second Sunday of 2023. I kept saying 2013 earlier in my head, and I was like, no, no, no. That's a little off. But 2023, the second Sunday, and it's a good day to be here. So we're excited you're here. If you are new, we do have uh, guest cards in the pew pocket in front of you if you want to let us know a little bit more about yourself. Or if you have prayer requests, you can fill those out. You can also do that online at fbccana.org. But we are so excited that you're here, and we want to invite you to continue joining us in worship and praising our Father. Amen. 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 Thank you, Kathy. The Bible says, where two or more gathered, there I will be. And that's the great thing about being in the house of the Lord. Each and every time we come together, he is here in this place. So I want us to sing this uh, great little song, a little chorus. He is here. He is here. You can touch him. Let's lift our voice this morning and sing praise to him.
stanza i want us to sing faithful you are faithful we don't have the words for that verse but isn't god faithful let's sing that to him this morning sing that faithful you are faithful king of kings you are Father, you are faithful. Father, you are worthy. We worship you because you are holy. Father, you are our King, our King Jesus. Father, we thank you for bringing us to this place this morning to worship you. Father, you are here in our midst as we've sung. Father, we feel your presence today. We're grateful to be in your house with your people to worship you today. Our prayer is that you are pleased, Father, with our worship offering this morning. Father, speak to our hearts today through the message. We lift our pastor to you today as he brings your word to us. Father, let us be about your business, not just today, but tomorrow and next week and next month throughout this entire year. Father, may we be a reflection of you In all that we do. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. Bless our time together today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church family. You can be seated. God said this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you're excited to be in God's house today, would you say amen? 
It is good to see you. We have not seen some of you um, in the new year, so I haven't seen you in church since last year. So I'm thankful that you are back today, that you're with us. We have some guests this morning. We welcome each and every one of you as well. I want to give you a report on what happened. Many of you out with holidays and travel and other things. We were here Christmas Eve for a beautiful candlelight service, had a wonderful time, packed house, and then we were back Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, a young boy, age 10, Ethan Prater, um, um, came and gave his life to Christ, Ethan Pratt, excuse me. And then last Sunday on New Year's Day, we had a couple come and join our church, and I'll be baptizing Shonda Prater in our baptistry in the second service. And so if you want to witness a baptism today, I encourage you to come back and be with us at 11. Before I begin the message, I also want to invite you to several opportunities that we have. Uh, We are really kind of resetting ourselves as a church. I think a lot of times in the new year, we have the privilege of doing that in our life. And one of the things that I'm determined to do as your pastor is kind of rethink the way we keep score. Uh, Christians, too many times, me included, you included, I think we look out and we say a church is successful if every seat is filled, if the place is packed out, we look at numbers. But really, as God's people, we ought to be counting discipleship and maturity as really the true scorecard of what makes God's people successful. And so we are launching several discipleship classes this fall. They begin this Wednesday. If you've ever wanted to intensify your ability to hear the voice of God as he speaks in your life, I invite you to a class. I'm going to start Wednesday night at six called Whisper, learning to hear the voice of God. Also, Marla Woolsey is beginning a class on spiritual gifts. Everybody is called to be a part of God's church using their spiritual gifts that God's Spirit has given you. And if you say, Pastor, I don't really know what that is, so I don't know where and how I should serve, you ought to come to Marla's class. It's going to be a very quick overview of spiritual gifts, but it will be so beneficial to you. And then um, Deidre Gage is continuing a study on the Gospel of Mark, so you don't want to miss that. That's in combination with a meal at 5. Uh, the Bible studies at 6, Edge and Cultivate and all the stuff for our youth and teenagers and special ministries will be back. Choir will be back in rehearsal, so it proves to be a great Wednesday. Now, all that was free. I have not even begun the sermon yet. Somebody say amen to that. So so now it's time to begin this morning's message, and, and the, the title of the message is God or Government. And here's how I want to begin. In our country... We have hundreds of courts where thousands of lawyers ask questions of witnesses every single day. And in every single one of those courtrooms, we have court reporters who record all of those interesting, ridiculous questions. And so I want to start this morning by giving you an example of some of these lawyer crazy questions. Are you ready for these? Here's what one lawyer asked a witness. He said the youngest son... The 20-year-old, how old is he? Think about that for a minute. All right. Uh, The second question, another lawyer asked, was it you or your younger brother who was killed in the war? Another ridiculous question, a lawyer showed a witness a photograph and said, is this a picture of you? The witness said yes. The lawyer then said, were you present when your picture was taken? And then another question. One lawyer asked, can you describe the individual? The witness answered, he was about medium height with a thick beard. And the lawyer said, was this a male or a female? 
And, and then sometimes the answer is funnier than the question. I need somebody to go up to the light booth because all of our lights just went out underneath these people, and I think they're going to be snoozing by the time I even get to the scripture, all right? And so I'm not sure what happened on that, but we maybe can get that fixed. So sometimes the answer is funnier than the question. Now, one lawyer told a witness, all your answers must be verbal. And then he asked, where did you go to school? And the witness answered, verbal. And then my favorite exchange was between a lawyer and a medical examiner. Here's how it goes. The lawyer asked, doctor... Before you perform the autopsy, did you check for a pulse? The answer, no. Did you check for blood pressure or breathing? No. So then, is it possible that the patient was alive when you began the autopsy? No. How can you be so sure, doctor? Because his brain was setting in a, in a jar on my desk. But could the patient still have been alive? Nevertheless, the lawyer asked, and the medical examiner said, it's possible that he could have been alive practicing law somewhere. (laughs) And so courtrooms, right, are filled with crazy and ridiculous questions. Now, why do I say all this? Because today, folks, Jesus Christ is going to be faced with a crazy question. You see, Jesus is in Jerusalem for his final week of ministry on this earth. And all of the religious leaders are seeking a way to trick him so he'll give an answer by which they can arrest him. Now, before we get to the really big question of the day, I want to tell you where we are. And here's where we are. We are back. You say, Pastor, where are we back from? Well, we are back in our ongoing sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. It's called The Remarkable Life of Jesus. We began this study last August. If you haven't been with us, don't fret. You can go online to Facebook, our church website. You can see every sermon in this series. But we got all the way to Mark chapter 11, and today we arrive at Mark chapter 12. Now, this series has been a wonderful time of growth for our church. Uh, We've learned together. We've been reminded that Mark's gospel was the first gospel written. Uh, Matthew, Luke, and John all used Mark as source material. Uh, We've also learned that the author of this gospel was the disciple Peter, but he had some help from his recording secretary, whose name was, say it out loud, John Mark, and that's how Mark got its name, the gospel got its name. We've also learned that Mark is a book of action. It was written to the Romans who loved action, and so today that action leads us to Mark chapter 12 and this crazy trap question that was given to Jesus. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles in hand today. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. As always, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word today. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. The title in my Bible is Paying Taxes to Caesar. Here we go. It's going to get really good. Verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. They're smoozing him, right? You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. They are really smoozing him, buttering him up. And now the question, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar 
or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them that classic phrase that most of us know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Today my prayer is as we delve into this really difficult topic, that we would be challenged to understand what God asked us to give to him. God bless you, you may be seated. The last phrase is the phrase that rings out for me in this passage, they were amazed at him. I want to ask us this morning as we begin together to dive into this passage, what's wrong with this picture? As you read the story and you look at this incident in the life of Christ, what's wrong? What do you see that's wrong with the picture? And friend, the answer very evidently off the top is this. The Pharisees and Herodians were joining forces. I mean, this is a huge deal. These two groups were on the opposite extreme of Jewish culture. The Herodians were a secular group who supported the Romans, and the Pharisees were a spiritual group who hated the Romans. It would be like the white supremacists of our day joining forces with the NAACP. It just didn't happen, but the Pharisees and the Herodians shared one desire. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. So you see, this question that they posed on this day, it was a trap. If Jesus said, don't pay taxes, he could have been arrested by the Romans. If he said, pay the taxes, then all the common Jewish people would have considered him a traitor. But Jesus outsmarted him. Do you know exactly what Jesus said? He said, show me the money. That's what Christ said. Bring me a denarius. You see, instead of being trapped, Jesus delves into this amazing principle for us and he broaches this very hot modern day topic. Is it God or is it government? Let's dive into what Jesus teaches us right here in Matthew and Mark chapter 12. Excuse me. Here's the first principle. The government has a legal claim on your loyalty. I want you to write that down for yourself today because it is emphatically a biblically taught principle. The government has a legal claim on your loyalty. Jesus said give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So let's talk about the coin that Jesus asked them to bring. What was it? It was a Roman denarius. Now in the time of Jesus, let me explain what this coin would have looked like. It would have had the image of Tiberius Caesar on one side. And if you turn that coin over, it would have had an an image of the son of the divine Augustus, the Most High. It literally said to everybody who held it in their hand that Tiberius was the son of God, little g, because the Romans claimed Augustus was a god. 
Now, isn't it ironic in this moment that the true Son of God was holding a coin that held that inscription? Now, fast forward to today. Here's the question. Should we pay taxes to Washington? Well, we can do what Jesus did this morning, and we can say, show me the money, right? I have in my hand, everybody can see this. We've all held one of these. It's a $1 bill. And the question is, whose image is on this dollar bill? Say it with me. George Washington. And so we can say like Jesus, we should give to Washington what is Washington's. And here's the point that we need to make today. The Bible affirms that we should obey and support our government. The Apostle Paul speaks exactly to this, and I remind you when he penned these words that Nero was the Christian-hating, Christian-killing leader of the government that he's speaking about. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit itself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. And this is why you also pay taxes for the authorities or God's servants who give their full time to governing. So friend, our responsibility to our government can be summarized in three words. Memorize these with me right now. Here they are. Pray, pay, and obey. Say those out loud. Pray, pay, and obey. That's our responsibility to the government. We're commanded to pray for those who have authority over us. We should pay the taxes that we owe, and we must obey the laws of our government. Obedience to the law is part of our Christian testimony. Let me tell you this story. It reminds me of a pastor who was driving to speak at a country church over in the next county. And he was running behind, right? Many of you know the drill. And and he was speeding on his way there. He was driving 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. But suddenly as he's driving, like a wild man, right? As he's driving, God's spirit begins to convict his heart. He has a Christian bumper sticker on his vehicle. His conscience starts to to get at him. What are these people going to think of me, a Christian, speeding by? So he knew what he had to do. He pulled off the road. He ripped off the bumper sticker, jumped back in and started speeding again. I'm just kidding. Let's be crazy serious. Do Christians always have to be loyal to the government? Do Christians always have to be loyal to the government? And the answer is no. Friend, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not always have to be loyal to your government. And there are two occasions when you may choose to not obey the government. If the government commands you to do something that God's word prohibits, then you have the authority to not do it. If the government forbids you to do something that God's word commands, you also have the authority to not do that. It's called civil disobedience, and there is a biblical precedent for this. We find it in Acts chapter 5. Many of you already know the story. Peter and John were arrested for doing what? They're arrested for preaching. And they had been told by the local government in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, had given them strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name. But what did they say to those governing authorities? They said, we must obey God rather than men. 
And what did they do? They just kept on preaching. They were guilty of civil disobedience. They faced the consequences. They were arrested and they were beaten over and over again. And so now, let's move forward to 2023. Our society is pushing Christianity to the edge, isn't it? Our society is pushing Christianity out of the mainstream. Wokeness and wickedness are everywhere. Christians are having to make choices to obey God rather than our government. And if we do that, I want you to hear me say this, we must be ready and willing to accept the consequences that come to us. Let me introduce you to Baronel Stutzman. You probably already have heard of her. You may not remember the name. In 2013, she was 70 years old. She was a, a grandmother. She had owned Arlene's florist shop in Richland, Washington for 40 years. And one of her frequent customers and a friend was a man named Robert Ingersoll. And one day Robert comes into her shop. He had done it many times before, but on this day he comes in and asks her to design a floral arrangement for his homosexual marriage. And she lovingly that day says to him, Rob, I can't do your wedding because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, he understood He hugged her. They hugged one another before he left. He had accepted that, but then the ACLU heard about it. They sprang into action, and they took her to court. The judge ruled against her. She was ordered to pay all the fines, all of the attorney costs. She lost her business. She expended all of her savings, and the opposing attorney, and this is why I tell you the story, the opposing attorney said this, and I quote, The message of these rulings is unmistakable. The government will bring about your personal and professional ruin if you don't help celebrate same-sex marriage. It takes courage, doesn't it, to stand for Christ? It takes courage to obey God. But friend, I declare today on the principle and the foundation of God's word, there is a higher law than man's law. There is a higher law than man's law. And we should be loyal to our government unless our government requires us to disobey the word of Almighty God. So government absolutely has a legal claim on your loyalty. But now let's flip it over. God has a loving claim on your life. Government has a legal claim on your loyalty, but God has a loving claim on your life. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but now give to God what is God's. I want you to think about this. Jesus said, show me the money. He asked for the Roman denarius, right? But whose image was on that? Tiberius Caesar. But the unasked question is whose image is stamped on your life? We know whose image is stamped on the coin, but whose image is stamped on your life? You see, all of us in this room, everybody in the world is created in the image of God. The Latin phrase is the imago Dei. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Friend, you and I are made in his image. 
As God is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you also are a triune creation, body, soul, and spirit. You're made in the image of God. The brilliant British evangelical scholar, Dr. John R. Stott, said this. I want you to hear these words. He said, we bear the royal stamp of God upon us. We are his kingdom's royal coin. Jesus looks to us and he asks, whose image is this? Who made this life? Who owns this life? Who gives it value? Our creator, of course, he says. And then Jesus challenges us. This life is not yours. It was provided for you to use, but it really belongs to somebody else. So please give it back to him. So let me tell you two implications of that. What does that mean for you? If you are made in the image of God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the implications today. First of all, you and I are citizens of two countries. I'm a citizen of two countries. Raise your hand if you're a citizen of the United States. I am. How do I know that? Because I was born on May the 24th, 1972 in Kermit, Texas. If you're trying to do the math, yeah, I'm 50 years old, right? Today's the oldest I've ever been in my life, and it's the youngest I'll ever be again. It's who I am. I'm a citizen of this country, and you know what? Y'all know this. I've been your pastor for 13 years. I love this country. I am a patriot at heart. I want to defend this country. I am proud to be a citizen of the United States of America. But you know what? That's not the only citizenship I hold. I'm also a citizen of heaven. How do I know? Because I was born again at the age of six at the Southside Baptist Church in Monahans, Texas. And when I die or Jesus Christ returns, I'll no longer be a citizen of the United States. But there will never be a moment again in all of eternity that I will ever lose my heavenly citizenship. Somebody say, Amen. Praise the Lord, right? So I want to ask you, because just because you came to church today doesn't mean it's automatic. Have you chosen Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? Friend, if you're a citizen, if you're a Christian, you're a citizen of two countries. But now you have a job, and this is the second implication Yes, you're a citizen of two countries, but your job is you are to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You see, a good ambassador doesn't hide out at the embassy and just study the Constitution. That's what not, that's not what makes a good ambassador. No, he or she goes out into their assigned country. They meet with the citizens. They deliver the message from who? The boss. They deliver the message that they are sent to deliver as ambassadors for Christ. Our job is to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To let them know that sin is a part of who they are. They're sinners. And that sin has separated them from God. But God in his gracious love. He sent his only son Jesus Christ. To pay the price for that sin. And if they'll just choose Jesus. They can have sin removed. And they can be eternal citizens of heaven. Followers of almighty God. That's the amazing story of the ambassador. 
So I need to ask you today, what kind of ambassador are you? If God is truly making his appeal through you, then how's it going? And what do other people see? We're citizens of two countries, and we're called to be ambassadors here. Let's drive this thing to the finish. Folks, we live in a world where two kingdoms collide, God and government. And when I think about that, I can't help but think about that conversation between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. You know the conversation? Jesus is literally hours from being crucified. He's standing with Pilate. He's standing in silence as a sheep before the shears is silent. So was the Son of Man in that moment. And Pilate, in his frustration, he finally says to Jesus, Don't you know that I have the power to kill you or to save you? And Jesus looks at Pilate with eyes like a blazing fire and a voice cool enough to freeze hell. And he says this to him, You have no power except the power given to you from above. Friend, that's where government receives its power. It receives its power from God. We live in this world, but we are not of this world. We are just ambassadors for the God who redeemed us and saved us. I want to close this thing out by telling you a story of what being an ambassador is all about. And I want to take you all the way back to Sunday, January the 8th, 1956. On Sunday, January the 8th, 1956, five brave ambassadors for Jesus were wading through the streams in the jungles of Ecuador. They had come there for one reason, to lead lost people to Jesus Christ. For several days, from a small plane, they had been dropping gifts and food to the locals, to the natives. And then they deboarded that plane, and about noon on that day, the natives began to approach them right in the middle of that stream. They were excited to make contact. But a couple of days later, all five bodies were found in that stream, dead from the spears of those natives. And Nate Saint was one of those missionaries who was killed that day. The amazing story doesn't stop there because years later, Nate Saint's wife, Elizabeth, returned to that same exact area, to that same exact tribe, to settle among those people who had killed her husband. For years, she lived there. She showed them the love of Christ. Many came to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then their son, who was only five years old when his dad was killed as a missionary, he actually went there 40 years after his dad was killed. And he was talking with one of the older natives who had been part of the group that had actually killed his father. And an often overlooked detail of the attack was that all five missionaries had loaded pistols on their person. None of those pistols were fired. And the old warrior was haunted by that fact. And he asked Steve Saint that day, he said, why didn't your father use his gun to protect himself? And Steve thought for a moment and he said this, because he was acting like his King Jesus, who gave his life 
for his friends. He said, that day my dad knew if he died, he would go to heaven. But he also knew that if you died, you wouldn't go to heaven. And that's why he did not fire his gun. Folks, the world looks at somebody like Nate Saint and says, what a fool. But we say, no, that's just how ambassadors act. They act like they're king. Today, the message, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Be a good citizen of your country. But more than that, 